This is Iron Sports 95.9, 106.9. We are honored to have back after a few months Dan Shaughnessy. He's the legendary Boston writer from the Boston Globe. And we had him on December with his book, Wish It Lasted Forever, Life with the Larry Bird Celtics. And I'm so glad you're coming back, Dan, because I've now been watching Winning Time, which sort of spans the entire time with, with the Lakers. So I, didn't, I was going to ask you, have you had a chance to watch Winning Time? And how does it dovetail with your great book that you wrote about the Celtics during the exact same time? I did. I saw all 10 episodes. I look forward to next year's second season. Uh, I know Jeff Perlman a little bit. He did a great job with his book. And, you know, that the the doc there, well, it's not a doc, whatever, a drama. I mean, it's it's there's a lot of um, maneuvering of facts in there. And, and some of the portrayals are a little cartoonish, uh, which is what happens when you, you give it up to HBO and Hollywood and whatnot. I mean, Jerry West uh, certainly has an actionable case here. And uh, uh, your guy, Pat Riley, <laughs> he comes out okay, but I about Adrian Browdy for that. But in any event, uh, I was entertained, so I, I enjoyed it, and it was fun. I, I'd sort of like to see it move forward into the Celtic-Laker days, which is what my book was about uh, with the Larry Bird time. And, and the Bird stuff, you know, some of it's just, you know, when he's he's got a beer can at a press conference. I mean, that stuff never happened, and they moved around a lot of facts and dates and things like that for you know, for dramatic effect, and I understand that. So, but I, I was entertained. I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. I just loved how the TV show portrays Red Auerbach and the whole idea that Jerry Buss is coming in, and then you have, I mean, they definitely take liberties with it, but it's just, yes. that's what they do with everything. And I just loved how Red Auerbach was like so you know, pompous, like, this is my club, this is my, you know, you're coming in, you're going to be out, you're going to buy a team and get tired with it and leave it. And that just, that inspired Buss to, to do what he can to try to topple the, the Celtic dynasty. And Red was, you know, Michael Chiklis, I know, really wanted to play that role. He loved, he wanted to play Terry Francona when I did a book on Tito, and he likes the Boston teams, and, and we didn't see enough of him. I hope we see more in the next season. But, uh, yeah, I was actually offered a, a role to come out and do a cameo, play the usher when he hands him the, the box with a tomato in it, which was kind of a gross, crude uh, inside joke, which Red never would have done. It was very tasteless. So I declined that opportunity, figuring I, I didn't need, need to get crushed on that. So... But, yeah, they, they had fun with it, and, um, yeah, I hope there's more Boston-L.A. when they get to the next season. Well, we're going to turn to a little Boston-Miami because I was watching the game and I was deciding, like, well, should I bring some a Milwaukee writer on? But we have to wait to see what happens in that game because I literally had no idea what was going to happen. It was, And I was shocked by the outcome, really, the fact that Boston in a game seven, and they were able to win six and seven, and they were able to control Giannis and, and really take it to the Bucks, and, and then and shooting well from the three. They wore him down. I mean, you know, I it kind of it's one of those rare times. I, I thought it would go seven. I thought Boston would win. And you go back to the last day of the regular season, and they each had an option to to play hard or or not play. And and uh, there was a consideration that that you might get Brooklyn if you if you won in the last day. And Boston did win. They did get Brooklyn. They wiped them out in four. They also got the top seed over over Milwaukee by doing that. The Bucks didn't play. They they laid down, lost their game. Didn't have to play Brooklyn. And then ended up with this seven, you know, game you know, dogfight with the with the Celts. But being on the road in the seventh game ultimately hurt them. And I just think that Boston was had marginally better talent, and you know, without Middleton, Milwaukee was impaired. Uh, you know, Boston didn't have Williams most of the series. But I just thought the Celtics had a little more, and they just wore them down. And Milwaukee, the Boston defense is so good. Bucks couldn't get a clean shot yesterday. I mean, Grayson Allen and Connaughton went one for twelve. They just never had any space, and uh, you know Giannis got worn down. He he had 17 at the half, he had six in the third, and two in the fourth, and he was just 
it was just too much, throwing too many bodies at him. You know, Al Horford, Grant Williams, Marcus Smart, on down, and uh, ultimately uh, they ju- they just capitulated. And but it was a very noble series. I just thought it was like Ali Frazier. You know, they went 15 rounds, and in the 15th, one guy was just staggering on the ropes, and that was the Bucks. We talk about that Boston defense, and and certainly Miami Heat. They talk about their defense here, but that's the question: is that the Boston defense is for real? I mean, they shut down Kevin Durant, who is the greatest offensive force in basketball we've seen, yeah. and then they go after Giannis. And even though Giannis played well, but he wasn't able to to carry them like he did, uh, or even you know many ways like LeBron had done in terms of just saying, okay, I'm just going to score fifty or whatever. It just seems like Boston's defense was is is for real. They are, and you know, it's not a really you know, sexy, interesting thing to write about. It doesn't really come off the page or uh, off, off the show when you're talking about a defense. It's like it is. You're stopping the other team. But they that was their calling card. They had statistically the best defense in the NBA. Marcus Marr was Defensive Player of the Year. And uh, Udoka, the head coach, he's, you know, he's a defensive-minded guy. That's why he comes to it. And uh, you could see this is something they were important to, and they were working on it. And I like to think that, you know, Doka played one year at the University of San Francisco. So, of course, like, you know, 70 years ago when Bill Russell and Casey Jones were doing their thing, winning 56 in a row for the Dons, two NCAA championships, defense was the calling card. I like to think Doka picked up some of that good defensive karma while he was there. And what about going back to the move earlier in the year when Brad Stevens decided to promote himself up or how this was decided into the general manager role and they bring in Udoko and then the year starts poorly. You know, they're not really yeah. having that good year. It was like, well, did they make the right choice with him? Is this the right, you know, should Stevens have stayed? Or That decision, it played out perfectly so far, but that was a tough call at the time. Absolutely. I mean, they were they were 18 and 21, which is not playoff bound. Uh, they were a 500 team last year bounced early by Brooklyn and this just looked like the same old same old and it's like why why did everybody go through this with uh Ainge leaving Stevens getting kicked upstairs getting off the bench you know players interviewed Brown and Tatum who's who do you want to coach they come up with Udoka well why aren't you responding it was the same old same old with you know iso ball blowing big leads and not responsive and I've never really seen anything like this in team sports where it just for no specific reason everything just clicked and uh, it wasn't – they did get healthy. They had all their players. COVID kind of went in the shell for them. But, man, it just was a reversal. And from really mid-January to this moment, they've been the best team in the NBA. And I think that Vegas believes that. I think that they're they're probably favored. They're favored in this series, correct? Um, yes, they are favored in this series. They're favored to Which, win. Yeah. I mean – and, you know, you figure they're not going to win tomorrow. I mean – Playing this bloodbath for seven games and having the Heat rested and Celts on the road, got to figure that the Heat have to have that one tomorrow. I know it's the first game, but if Boston were to win that one, you just feel that the, the tsunami's coming because they have no business winning that game tomorrow. Well, we talk about Tatum and Brown, and Tatum was the third pick in the 2017 draft after Markel Fultz and Lonzo Ball. And then when Jalen Brown in the 2016 draft, interesting, was Ben Simmons was the first and Brandon Ingram was second. So you have these two players. And for years, some people have been saying, oh, you got to trade one. But but, but I love Jalen Brown. Like, I certainly I've had him on my fantasy team the last couple of years and won with him. But uh, I think he's a little underrated. I mean, people more look, but Tatum is one and Brown is like three, whereas I think maybe it's more like one and one A between Tatum and Brown. It's been interesting over the, you know, I mean, Brown's got one more year in the league. He's got six years. You know, Tatum's got five. And they're both very young, came to the league early. And uh, Brown took longer to, to hit his stride as a star kind of player. Tatum kind of always had that star aura around him. Now he's getting it done. I mean, he's outplayed Durant in the first round. And 
had that epic duo with with Giannis in Game Six of this round. And I mean, Tatum's averaging 28 points in 41 minutes in in 10 playoff games so far. So that's an emergence. But you're right, Brown's really good, and there are days when he carries them. So they have that. You know, they're a little bit of a duplication of skill sets. You know, kind of you know six, eight, nine wingmen. Um, kind of do everything, and uh, it, it's taken a while, and there's been talk, you're right, I mean, back here, you know, trade them, break up the Jays, whatever, and they didn't do it. Danny Ainge gets a lot of credit, I believe. He's a good evaluator of talent, and I think he hit on these two, and, and it was not as easy as everybody thinks in retrospect, because as you referenced back at the draft time, there was a lot going on with those other names, and, and, and Danny made the right call. Do they get along? I mean, do they? I, I haven't. There's been a lot of writing about those two, but do they? Are they friends out the court, or do they? Do, is it? Is it like they try to is it more of a Kobe Shaq thing? I mean, it yeah. Just... You know, Ira, in, in this day and age, and this is part of what Wish It Lasted Forever, Life of the Larry Bird Celtics, is about. We really knew what they were like because we lived with them, we traveled with them, we were on the buses, all that stuff. Now, there's this giant moat, and uh, we we're, we're not in the, in the locker room. I just I don't know. I I, I sense. I've always sensed a little frostiness, and same with Smart. You know, Smart wants to be the alpha dog in the room, and he's been here longer than both of them. And he, over, you know, all of them overrate themselves in the look in the mirror. I mean, there's no, <laughs> there's no, uh, you know, false humility here with any of these guys. I mean, they all think they're it. So it makes it interesting. But I've never sensed a, and you know, Bird and McHale were kind of like that. Uh, you know, it wasn't anything frosty. But people thought, well, two white guys from the Midwest on the Celtics, and they must be really tight. But no, it was almost like the Ruth Gehrig thing. We had these two stars, and they just lived life differently and had different approaches to the profession. And that's how it was. It worked magically for a lot of years. And I think that that's what they're hoping for here, too. But I don't sense, uh, you know, Butch and Sundance here with these two. But they're both great skilled players, and, and right now they're both winners. And then it, for, it seems like for four years, the Celtics were trying to get this point guard. They had Kyrie, then they had Kemba Walker and Schroeder. They've been trying to get this point guard, but Marcus Smart seems to be the point guard that was there all along, and he kept telling everybody, I'm the point guard, and, and, and they went with him, and he's, it's worked so far. Again, another thing that's been working. It's been working now with him. Yeah, and I'm still reluctant on that one. I just think as we'll see how things go as they get, you know, now your conference finals and then NBA finals if they advance, but... You know, we saw it at the end of Game 5 at home. They had a 14-point lead in the fourth quarter, and they lost it, lost the game at home. And uh, he ended up with the last two possessions and never touched the rim. He had the ball the whole time, had a, his shot blocked, and then got his pocket picked. And I just – he's not a point guard, in my view. I mean, he's, he's, he's rugged. Red would love him. He's a great defender. But he's not Tiny Archibald, okay? You, know, you don't feel like – you're secure with the ball in his hands uh, and, and something good's going to come of it uh, in that situation. So it's still a work in progress, but that's an area where they can be, I think, exploited in a close game, and it did happen against the Bucks in Game 5. And when you look at the injury reports of the games, people see Robert Williams, he's going to play, he's not going to play, he plays a little bit, doesn't play. But really, that type of presence could cause problems for Bam. I mean, you don't want to have Bam just to be the only setter in the game. You saw what he did against Atlanta when Capella was out, that you really want to have Robert Williams healthy, and maybe he's a difference maker in the series if he stays healthy. We thought it was going to be that until he had the meniscus and had the surgery, and, and it looks like they brought him back a little too soon, so you don't know. It's it's a trick-or-treat. You don't know what you're going to get. And uh, don't forget, I mean, you, you remember, like two years ago, these these teams played each other in the conference finals, and it was six, it was Miami, and Bam had the big plays at the end, and uh, it's a lot of the same guys. So uh, we'll see uh, how this thing goes. And, you know, Heat are coming into it more rested. But Boston's, they're hot, man. They're scalding, and this goes back to January. And do you think with the Heat, with their 
the the depth. I mean, that's what I when I see them. I mean, I'm not nervous that Lowry is in there because I think Gabe Vincent actually plays better than Lowry, when, even a healthy Lowry to some respect. But the Heat are just going to just be playing like 11, 12 guys. I mean, Callum Martin could be playing Jason Tatum for stretches of the game. They are just and they're not going to worry about foul trouble. They're just going to put a lot of people on. Is that depth going to be a benefit against a team that? You know, when you look at Derek White not shooting well for the Celtics and maybe Pritchard plays well, sometimes it comes in. It, it, that might be the big difference, I guess, the advantage the Heat have coming into the game. I think it's a good point. And, you know, we're not going to have any long layoffs here like we saw in the earlier rounds. It's every other day now. It's like the NHL. So you're not going to have that. The playoffs, you know, Larry always said this, there's more time in the games. The timeouts are longer, more pauses, and, you know, the older guys like that. But I think the, there's no actual, you know, every day you're either playing or traveling. And that's it from here to the end of this thing. So that might favor the team that's using more guys. And I think, uh, I mean, I guess the Jimmy Butler, I mean, the fact, I, I'm excited for this series because you have teams that, that at least, you know, as we talk about the NBA, no one's playing defense, those type of things. I mean, teams that really are emphasizing defense, the Heat certainly do, so does Boston. And, and the fact that you have a guy like Butler who plays hard all the time, it'll, that's going to be, this, this, this is going, I mean, you talked about the last series being a war. This series could be definitely a war <laughs> where, where, where they're just not going to give up. I mean, the Heat, and the Heat have shown throughout the playoffs that they can win these close games, and the Celtics have blown a couple close games. So this is what, I mean, against the, against the Bucks. So that's where I think it's going to be. I just can't wait for this series. No, I, I agree. It does get you fired up thinking about that, and it does feel a little bit more like the old 80s physical game and bodies flying and banging around. And of course, when Giannis is in a game, you're going to get that de facto, and there was a lot of that in that, that seven-gamer that we just had here. So I look forward to that. I think that would be great, and it reminds me of, uh, of, of the good old days when, you know, Boston-Detroit, Boston-L.A., and, you know, Pat... Pat Riley, he he got his education in the NBA by losing that '84 Finals to the Celtics, and and it changed him forever. And uh, you know, stay, you know what his dad told him: stand your ground. And then of course he ended up with the the Nick team killing everybody and beating the crap out of everybody. And and uh, so he he feels you know, and this roster reflects that. So I, I think we're going to see a lot of a lot of bodies flying like old old days NBA. So you think that they're going to show Pat Riley on the video board in the game when he's, <laughs> when he's at the Boston Garden? I think that is going to get the fans you know, riled up, per se. It would get could. me riled up, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Those are the best days ever. But I mean, we're talking to Dan Shaughnessy, uh, author of the book, Wish It Lasted Forever. And uh, I guess, you know, first, certainly if you're interested in the Celtics, if you like the old-time NBA, and if you've sort of got back when you watched the winning time on this on this set, I love this this time of the NBA when, the, when Larry Bird's flying on the plane and, and commercials when he's sitting in an airport and, and different style. I mean, this is a great book to read. Uh, are you? Is there any thought to make this like a winning time from the Celtics? Is there, is there been talk about that perhaps? Well, Ira, you're not the first person to introduce that, so thanks for asking. And, I mean, I have nothing to say about anything and nothing ever really happens in, in that Hollywood treatments and pitches and whatever, but it's, it's being discussed. If you remember after the last dance, everybody was all over the Jordan thing and that spawned a lot of creative ideas regarding books and, and films and projects. And I think the, the winning time will do the same thing for the NBA, old-time NBA. Well, Dan, I really I know you're really busy. I've been excited for this series. Thanks a lot for coming on IRS Sports. I greatly appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Look forward to coming down to Miami later today. Take care.